You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. If you're new here, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, just making our way through. And we've uh, had a little bit of a break from Luke with the different pastors coming in, but we left off in chapter 10 with the story of Mary and Martha. And Jesus uh, talking uh, to Mary and Martha and giving them some lessons about intimacy with him. And Martha was a doer. She was very practically minded. And Mary was a worshiper. She, she understood intimacy. And Jesus said that Mary had chosen the better part. That Mary was, was a woman who understood that God wants to have relationship with us. And so this morning, sort of segging out of that, we're going to be talking about prayer. And Jesus instructing his disciples about prayer because certainly prayer is a way that we enjoy intimacy with God. It's a way that we fellowship with God. And I think that we're all on the same page. I don't think I need to inform you or to instruct you about how important prayer is. I think we're all there. There's certain things that are just assumed. You know how the Bible starts with God created the heavens and the earth? You ever wonder why the Bible doesn't start with like apologetics for how God exists? It just starts with God created the heavens and the earth. His existence is assumed. And I think it's assumed today that prayer, that intimacy with God, that fellowship with God is important. And here's something that I think every church has a culture and a DNA. And I think in this church, uh, seven years we've, we've been going, and, and I planted this church seven years ago, and we have had a culture and a DNA of being Marthas, of being very much service-oriented. Lots of things going on, lots of events, lots of projects, lots of appeals by me, to serve. But as is typical, a church will only go as far as its pastor. And I'm a Martha. I'm a doer. I'm a, I'm a practically minded guy. I'm a guy that likes to get stuff done. I'm not really great at being a Mary. I'm not really great at just sitting at Jesus' feet, at being intimate with Him. And consequently, I think we have a Martha church. And that we struggle in some of the merry kinds of things. And for that I apologize. For that I humbly stand before you as your pastor saying that I'm weak in that area. And I've led you to weakness in that area. And that we can improve on that. That our corporate times of worship can improve. That we can become more intimate with God. That we need to have a closer fellowship and relationship with Him more communion with him. Jesus told Mary that she had chosen the better part. And part of this is prayer. Because apart from prayer, you guys, there is no intimacy with God. There is no fellowship. There really is no relationship. And I'm sure most of us here, if we were honest, we would admit that prayer is a struggle. You you sit down to pray, you go on a walk to pray, and all of a sudden, you are the busiest person on the planet. You got phones ringing, you got emails coming in, you've got kids clinging onto your leg, you know, you've got phone calls that you forgot about that you need to return. There, there's these projects that you never want to do that all of a sudden seem really important. Like you haven't thought about cleaning out the garage in two years, and now all of a sudden it's priority number one. The lawn has been 18 inches tall since April, and all of a sudden, i got to get on it now, right? And it's because there's a spiritual battle going on in prayer. And it's no wonder that we struggle in prayer when you think about how skewed and how messed up our perspective on prayer is. Many people think prayer is a way for me to let God in on the happenings of my life. Kind of like the husband that gets home from work And now he's going to tell his wife what went on that day. And, you know, that's what we're going to do with God. And so God hears this and this and this. And apparently you weren't aware of this. And and it's just sort of droning. 
It's just sort of mundane. It's like, why are we informing God? Prayer doesn't inform God. It transforms us. That's what we want to talk about this morning. And that's one of the ways in which prayer is totally messed up is that we think we're informing God. We're going to Him with a bunch of facts that He doesn't need. It makes it tedious. Don't do that in corporate prayer, especially. In our times of corporate prayer, don't inform God about things. You don't need to do that. It, it puts people to sleep. That's one of the ways in which our prayer is skewed. Another way that our prayer is skewed is that we believe that prayer is somehow a golden ticket that I found. It's a genie in a bottle, and I'm just going to rub it a few times through prayer, and God's going to pop out. He's going to do whatever I want. It's a golden ticket to health and to wealth, and that isn't true either. And that's why you hear people praying things that are just completely outside the will of God and then wondering why God isn't responding. We're going to talk about that this morning. And so with that mindset, this God, here's some information, or God, here I am, I'm the king of the universe, certainly you want to do everything I want you to do. With that kind of mindset in prayer, it's really easy to see why we don't pray consistently. Because once I figure out God's omniscient and he doesn't need me to inform him of things, why pray? You hear people say that. God already knows everything. Why do I need to pray? Wrong perspective about prayer. You're coming into it thinking you've got to tell God something. That's not what it's about. Or, I've been praying for this for a long time and he hasn't answered. Well, we're going to see scripturally that you're praying for the wrong things. You're not praying in the will of God because if you are, he answers you. And so when you begin to see what prayer really is, you guys, it changes how you pray, it changes how often you pray, and it becomes a blessing, a get-to, not a have-to. Prayer is not information transfer. It's not getting my will accomplished. Prayer is aligning myself with God's will and transforming my life as I become more like him. And so prayer doesn't inform God. Prayer transforms us. And so Luke chapter 11, we're going to look at the first 13 verses. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them. Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg... Will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the first thing that we notice here is that there's a model to follow here in regard to prayer. There's a prayer to model. Jesus just coming out of instructing and gently rebuking Martha for not being intimate with him is now going to show us how it is that we can have intimacy with God. 
And the disciples hearing that and thinking, yeah, I want to have intimacy with God. I want to have relationship. I want Him to capture my heart. How does that happen? And now they see Jesus praying. And the the wheels are turning. And they're starting to remember, wait, Jesus is a man of prayer. Jesus prays a lot. In fact, remember Jesus prayed and fasted for 40 days before He started His earthly ministry? And then there was the time where he was going to choose the 12 disciples and he went up on the mountain and he prayed all night long. And then just recently here in Luke, we saw Jesus up on top of the Mount of Transfiguration reveal himself to the disciples and it says he brought them up there to pray. And then he told the disciples at the bottom of the hill, hey, the reason why you couldn't cast out the boy who was demon-possessed, the demon out of the boy who was possessed, is because you weren't praying and fasting ahead of time. You weren't prepared. And so the wheels have been turning now for the disciples, and they realize Jesus is a man of prayer, and we're not. Something you need to know about Jesus, you guys, is Jesus was not a superman. Jesus was a real man. He was a dude, just like you and I, in, in all of the facets of humanity except for sin. And so he's a carpenter. And so that means when he hit his hand with a hammer, it hurt. And that means when he didn't eat, he was hungry. And when he worked all day, he was tired. And he slept. And his body broke down just like our bodies break down. And so Jesus was not immune to all of the things of humanity that that we understand, except for sin. And even in that, he was tempted towards sin, and yet he didn't give in to it. And I say that to say that Jesus understood what it was to be busy. Jesus understood what it was to be tired. Jesus understood what it was to be distracted. And yet, he still prayed. And so you might think, yeah, well, Jesus was perfect. You know, of course he prayed. And he had this thing going on with the Father. I mean, what? of course he prays. He's God. But in a sense, you might think, well, why would he pray he's God? And he's still a man. He was a regular man. He was tired. He was hungry. He was distracted, just like us. And yet he made it a priority to pray. And the disciples noticed that. And they also noticed that his prayers were altogether different than theirs. And they were thinking, you know, we've grown up praying. We're Jewish. We've been going to synagogue every day of our entire lives. We've prayed a lot of prayers. But there's something about when Jesus prays. There's something different. And we want that. And what is that? Jesus, help us. Teach us to pray. Like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Can you teach us to pray? And so what does Jesus do? He turns back to Chronicles and he says, there's this little prayer called Jabez that I want you to pray. Almost like a mantra. And if you'll pray it seven times, God is going to just rock your socks. No, he doesn't say that. We got nothing about Jabez here at all. And Jabez was written. So Jesus could have pointed him to Jabez. I got nothing against the prayer of Jabez, but this prayer is a lot more important. This this prayer is the model prayer. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it's called the Disciples' Prayer. I think both of those are probably off in their emphasis. It's really the model prayer. And it's interesting that this prayer... All of the pronouns in this prayer are plural. In other words, prayer is something that is to be done in the community of others. It's important. Corporate prayer is important. It's also the focus is to be put on others and not on yourself. It says, our Father, not my Father. Give us, forgive us, for we who is indebted to us do not lead us. Deliver us. It's, it's plural. It, it's in community. It's others focused. And that's important in prayer because most of our prayers, and I think why we're ineffective in prayer, just like a lot of our worship, is me-centered. I. This is what I get out of it. And the prayer of Jabez, you guys, as great of a prayer as that is and as many people as I think that helped, prayer of Jabez is very self-focused. Lord, bless me, enlarge my borders. And notice how this prayer starts. Our Father, a term of intimacy. And that was something that 
the disciples noticed about Jesus is that when he prayed, it was with intimacy, it was with relationship. That's what Father speaks of. And do you know that Jesus called God Father every time in prayer except once? And that was on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only one time Jesus called him God. And that was because he wasn't responding to him in intimacy. He was responding to him in judgment. And there was separation. But typically, Jesus responded to God as the Father in relationship. Because we have relationship with God. That's amazing. And you need to capitalize on that. You need to understand that. You need to allow him to capture your heart because he wants to. He wants to have fellowship and communion with you. Our Father also speaks of the fact that it's God-centered. This prayer wasn't self-focused. It was focused on God. It was to be centered on Him. We're praying to Him. Often our prayers sound like we're praying to somebody else or we're praying to ourselves. This prayer is prayed directly to the Father. It's centered upon Him. God-centered prayers are prayers that God hears. Hallowed be your name. That word hallowed simply means holy. Holy is your name. It's a word that means set apart, unique. He's holy. What this doesn't mean is that in prayer, we somehow make God holy. God, I pray that you would become holy. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying God's already holy, and the sooner you figure that out, the better. Holy, holy, holy is his name. He's already that. And so what we get to do is to let others know about it. We want to make his name famous. That's what we're called to do, is to make Jesus famous, to show people that God is holy, that he's set apart, that he's unique, that he's like none other. That's what that prayer is about. Lord, holy is your name. God, you're not like anybody else. God, you're not like my boss at work. God, you're not like the father who raised me. God, you're not like any other authority in this life. God, you are unique You are set apart. You are holy. And you're aligning yourself with that understanding. It's God-centered. It's wanting to glorify Him and not yourself. See, too much of our prayer life is about glorifying self. Essentially, God, make me famous. God, I want the world to revolve around me. And Jesus is saying, no. Your prayers ought to set you into a place where you want to glorify God. Because that's your chief end in this life, you guys, is to glorify God. He already is holy, and there's a world that needs to know about that. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Now, many translations will leave off your will be done. If you have an NIV, it won't say your will be done. And that's because the, that phrase is not in the older manuscripts, the King James and the New King James. It's included, but... It really doesn't change anything. The the fact is, is that we want his kingdom to come. That's what we're praying. God, your kingdom come. God, not my will, but your will be done. God, I want you to come and to reign and to rule. Your kingdom, God, be set up. Now, oftentimes, we pray this very generally. And you hear people pray, maybe on the National Day of Prayer, and, and you hear people that are very fired up about the government and politics, and, and they're praying for God's kingdom to be set up, and God, strike all the abortionists dead. And, and God, all the liberals, take care of them too. And God, set your kingdom up in D.C. Get rid of Obama. And then, God, we're going we're gonna to just wave hands and sing kumbaya, and, and it's as if God's going to set up his kingdom through politics. And, and others will, will do the same. You know, get rid of all the conservatives. Get rid of Bush and, and your kingdom will come. And, and we see that that is not the case. And so this isn't about praying generally for God's kingdom to come through the workings of men. This is about understanding that Jesus is already coming. Come Lord Jesus, Revelation says. Come. He's already coming. He already has a plan to set up his kingdom. He will do it. He will establish his rulership and his authority. But guess what, you guys? 
It can start in you right now. So rather than praying, God, set up your kingdom in some far off place that doesn't really challenge me. Doesn't really challenge me at all, God. Yeah, get your kingdom set up in D.C. and start passing laws and stuff. And God says, I want to set my kingdom up right here in your heart so that you're not looking at porn, so that you're not sleeping with people that aren't your husband or wife, so you're not treating people like crap. That's what God wants to do. He wants to set up your, his kingdom in your heart right now. His kingdom, your heart. Forget about Washington, D.C. Forget about Salem. Forget about how the city of Prineville is going to hell in a handbasket because nobody knows what they're doing. He wants to set up your, his kingdom in your heart right now. That's what he wants to do. And it changes everything for you. Your kingdom come, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my will. So you start praying like that. You start praying for God to radically grip your heart and to set up his throne in your life. And all of a sudden you start to see God work and God move and people are getting saved and ministry is happening. And you're not talking to people condescendingly. And when you do tell people about the gospel, they don't flip you off. They want to hear it. Because they see his kingdom in your life. But see, too often, we're setting up the kingdom over here, and it's a church and four walls and somewhere else. And then over here, we're preaching a crucified message through an uncrucified vessel. And people don't see it, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. But he wants his kingdom to be in your heart. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. God, I'm not praying for you to get my agenda accomplished here on earth. God, I want your will to be done. See, we often fail in prayer because we're praying things that God really isn't that concerned about. He doesn't care about. He doesn't want to do. And so we're over here. God, do this. God, do that. How come God doesn't listen to me? What in the world's going on? And God's over here. He's going in the complete opposite direction of you. And all you have to do is say, God, what is it that you want to do? And it's in his word. And so I find out what he wants to do, and I get in line with that, and all of a sudden, God starts answering prayers. And he starts working radically in my life. And it's phenomenal. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's God-centered. It's intimate. It's about him and his kingdom. And so you... You line yourself up with all of that, and what a great way to start prayer. Too often, we go into prayer right with the request. Okay, God, do this and this and this. Jesus sets it up for worship, to get your heart right. Because this world, you guys, it puts you into a mindset where it's all about me. It's all about me. And even our worship music, it's me-centered so often. The Bible is not about you. Prayer is not about you. Worship is not about you. Church is not about you. It's about God and bringing Him glory and making Him famous and Him setting up His kingdom in your life and ultimately in the world. That's what it's about. You start thinking about the church. You start thinking about books that are written and prayers that are prayed and sermons that are preached. And it's no wonder that we're not making an impact. But when we start praying in line with Him, we'll start to blow the doors off of churches We'll start to blow the doors off our lives. God will start to move. That's what he wants to do. He wants to move. You see, we kind of think that God's reticent, that he is somehow reluctant. He doesn't really want to move. He's just kind of lazy, sitting over there, big sedentary guy in the sky and doesn't really care to do much. And we're somehow going to manipulate him into doing something. We aren't seizing we, we aren't overcoming God's reluctance, you guys. We're seizing upon his willingness. But we have to figure out what direction is he going. And we start going in that direction. And it's phenomenal. And then the requests come in. Give us day by day our daily bread. Not, Lord, I pray that you would fix my retirement because I've lost it all and I just, you know, I, I'm, I can't sleep at night. I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm 60. I know I'm only 38, 
but I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm 60, Lord. So would you just make sure that that's taken care of, please, so that I can forget about you and just trust in my 401k? And God says, no, I let that go in the toilet just for you. So just pray for today. Give us day by day our daily bread. Now, this isn't just bread, so don't think that you have to just eat bread. That would be really boring. But this is about provision. This is about daily necessities. God, provide for my necessities today. God, would you do that? God, would you provide for what I need today? Lord, don't give me so much that I forget about you, but God, please don't forget about me and give me so little that it brings a curse to your name. God, just provide for me today, day by day. Remember the kids, the children of Israel, and and how they would get manna every day. And if they hoarded it, it would rot. They were only to gather as much as they needed for that day. And if they wanted to to take it and hide it so they didn't have to trust God, then that that part that they hoarded would rot. And that's sort of what happens in our life, is is the things that we don't have to trust God for, they're kind of rotten. God wants us just to trust Him for our daily provision. And then it goes from that into forgiving our sins, into confession of sin. And often in prayer, we aren't being heard by God because we have unconfessed sin in our life. And David talks about that in the Psalms, how that if you have sin in your life, then God can't hear you. And so you need to come before Him. And you need to confess your sin, as Jesus says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so you're confessing your sin on a daily basis because you're out in the world and you are becoming tainted with sin. You're hearing things you shouldn't hear. You're thinking about things you shouldn't think about. You're seeing things you shouldn't see. You're saying things you shouldn't say. It might not be the big gross sin, but you're being influenced by sin. And that's why Jesus told Peter, look, You need to allow me to wash your feet. Oh, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. Well, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. Oh, well, then wash my head and my hands and everything else also, Lord. Peter, you don't get it. Here's the point. You're already clean. You just need your feet washed. See, you guys, if you know Jesus this morning, if you've allowed him to wash you by his blood, to wash your sin, to cleanse you, then you're already clean. But your feet, in a spiritual kind of way, get dirty out in the world. And so you need to come before God, and you need to say, God, would you wash my feet? God, forgive me. God, cleanse me of all my sin. And then it's automatically assumed that you're going to forgive others. That's not works. It isn't that if you don't forgive others, you're not going to be forgiven. That isn't the point. The point is, is that because of the cross... And because of what Jesus has done for you, you'll automatically forgive other people. It's like when you come into contact with the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you and you are overwhelmed with his love and his grace and you are filled with the spirit, you automatically forgive people. You can't be bitter. You can't be harboring stuff. God's going to be purging that out of you. That's the point is that when you're forgiven by God, you will forgive others. It's not a works thing. that You've got to somehow earn His forgiveness by forgiving others. It's just assumed that it will happen because the Holy Spirit will do that work in you. It's an awesome thing. And that's why James said, look, I'll show you my faith by my works. The works that I do will demonstrate the faith that I already have. And so when I forgive people... It demonstrates that I've been forgiven, that I've been cleansed, that I've been washed. And it's like Ephesians 2.10. The good works that we are to walk in have already been prepared by God. We just need to appropriate them. They're already there. We don't have to drum them up and work really hard. Oh man, I gotta forgive that guy. It's already here. Forgiveness and love and being freed from the bondage of bitterness. It's already here. We grab it. We let the cross do its work, and God does phenomenal things through us as a result. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And then he closes by saying, 
Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This isn't that God somehow leads us into temptation. We have to talk him out of it. God, please don't lead me into temptation. What he's saying is that he's the only source of victory you have from temptation. James 1 makes it really clear that God does not tempt anyone. When you sin, it's because you gave in to temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that when we're tempted, we're on common ground with everybody else because everybody's going through the same temptation. It's not any more difficult for you than it is for them. So some of you young people quit saying, well, it's a lot harder for me today than it was for my parents. Hey, there may be some stuff that's harder, and I know that your, your dad probably didn't have naked women a click away for him and, and, and girls. Maybe your mom didn't have such forward guys in her day, but the temptations are all there. We're all the same. We live in a very conservative culture and society compared to the Roman culture that Paul and Jesus ministered in. It was debauched. You could walk down the street and there was prostitution everywhere, and they did it all in the name of worship. I mean, some guys are thinking, that sounds like my kind of church. I mean, you, you just walk down the street, and, and there's priestesses whose job it is to have sex with men, and that's how they would worship. That was going on, and it was accepted, and it was out in the culture. They didn't need the internet. And so let's, let's not make excuses. Let's not try to justify why we sin and why it's harder for us. We're all tempted in the same ways. And when we give in to that temptation, you guys, it's because we wanted it. It's because my heart wanted it. It's because it made me feel good. It's what my flesh desired. And I went and I got it. It's the bottom line. So what we need to pray is, God, don't lead me into temptation. God, give me the victory. Lord, you've told me in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 10 that when I'm tempted, you have given me a way of escape. And so I don't have any excuse. The way of escape is there. God, don't lead me into temptation. God, free me from it. I don't want to sin, Lord. I want to have victory. And the victory is by faith, 1 John 5, 4. The victory that we have is just simply believing it by faith. So Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, deliver me from the devil who wants to steal and to kill and to destroy me. God, deliver me from him. And so this is a prayer to model. I think it's a prayer to repeat. And in the low church, like this, where the pastor doesn't tuck in his shirt and wears flip-flops, we don't normally have like repetitious kind of prayers. I'm not wearing a robe. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Some of the higher churches, they say the Lord's Prayer or this model prayer every Sunday. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because of the way that it's written. It seems to be written as a prayer to be repeated and also as a prayer to be shared within the community of other believers. But it's certainly also a model of prayer by which we go to Him starting with worship, centered on Him. Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, God. Set it up in my heart. Okay, Lord, give me my daily necessities. God, forgive me for my sins, God, because I'm, I know I'm already going to be forgiving others. It's assumed. Lord, do that work. Lord, lead me not into temptation, God. Give me victory over sin. God, protect me from the evil one who wants to destroy my life. Protect me from all evil that wants to come and wants to destroy me and ruin your good name. God, protect me from that. That's a great model for prayer. But there's more than just a prayer to model. Jesus then gives us a story to illustrate the importance of prayer, to help us to sink our teeth into it. And it's the story of a friend who has a friend come to him in the middle of the night, and so he goes to another friend, his neighbor, asking him for some food so that he can feed this traveler. Now, this whole story is way counterculture to us. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Hopefully, we can unpack it and, and, and allow you to see how it illustrates the truth. And Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, right away, we're going, I don't even know my neighbor. 
So I'm not going to him at noon, let alone midnight, right? That's a whole different thing. You ought to know your neighbor, different message. But you, you're probably thinking, there's no way I would do this. But you've got to understand the culture. You've got to understand that, number one, a lot of traveling was done at night because it was too hot during the day, so they would travel at night. Number two, they didn't have a conno lodge across the street. So you'd have to stay in homes. And it was just accepted that if you were traveling, you went through a town and you had a friend there, you, you would stay with that person. But they didn't have huge homes. No 3,000 square foot homes with spare bedrooms and guest baths and walk-in closets. They didn't have that stuff. There was one room and everybody and the dog was in the one room. And so here comes the neighbor. He's got a, a friend that stops by. Hey, what's going on? It's been a long time. Can I stay here? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's get your stuff. Uh, hang on a second. I got to go take care of something. Oh, man, I don't have any food. What am I going to do? Because it would have been an insult to have someone stay with you and not have anything to offer them. It would be akin to having someone stay at your house and putting them in a dirty bed. Have you ever stayed at somebody's house and got in the bed and there's like sand and stuff in it? It's like, seriously? I'm sleeping on the floor. I don't care what's going on on the floor, but I'm not sleeping with sand in my bed. That's weird. But people do that. It amazes me what people will do. They'll have guests over the room. It's like just, you know, crusties on the windows and stuff on the door. The doorknobs all like jacked and, and snot and slobber on it. And, and, oh, yeah, you're sleeping in the kids' room. And uh, I didn't get to the sheets yet, but don't worry. You know, they haven't peed the bed in a couple of years. Okay, and the pillowcase has like, you know, blood stains on it from when the kid had a bloody nose and... You know, 6 a.m., Rufus is jumping on the bed. That, that's what it would have been like to not have anything to offer people to eat. And so he's like, I got to go get some food. So he goes next door. Ding dong. And the neighbor's like, seriously? It's midnight. I just got my kids to bed. Now, remember, they don't have back bedrooms where you can be quiet, you know, open the door really quick. My kids are in bed. Can you be quiet? No, they're all in the same room. They would have been like right there. And he says, look, don't trouble me. The door's shut, bro. And you might be thinking, well, of course the door's shut. But it means that they, they've, they've bolted it. They put this piece of wood in front of the door so they wouldn't have robbers coming in. My children are with me in bed. You know how hard it is to get kids to bed. When people come and they wake your kids up, you know, th- that's something that you might fight over. You know, you, you just woke my child up, and it took me two hours to get him to bed, okay? Um, I'm going to now suffocate you with my bare hands. <laughs> and that's kind of what would have been going on in this guy's mind. That's what Jesus is wanting to illustrate. This guy doesn't want to get out of bed. He doesn't want this guy at his door. Please go away. But because of the persistence of this guy. Jesus said, he went ahead, he got out of bed, and he gave him as many as he needed because of his persistence. Ding dong, hey, go away. Not, not now, bud, okay? Tomorrow, I'll give you as much as you want. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. Okay, okay, okay. And this isn't, you guys, to compare this grouchy, sleepy neighbor to God. This is to contrast. This, this is if grouchy, sleepy neighbor will get up because of persistence, even when he doesn't want to, how much more will your God who wants to answer, who wants to move, who wants to bless you, how much more? You don't have to beg him. He's ready. So it's contrasting. It's not comparing. Don't think of God as some curmudgeon that you have to overcome his reluctance. God isn't reluctant at all. We just have to seize upon his willingness. So he's contrasting the two. You say, well, I've been ringing the doorbell for a long time, Ryan, and God's not answering. It's because you're not praying according to the model prayer that Jesus set up. It's not God-centered, it's you-centered. 
You're not praying for basic necessities. You're praying to be rich. Your motives are wrong in prayer. It isn't for him to be glorified. It's for you to be glorified. It's not for him to be famous. It's for you to be famous. It's not for his kingdom, but your kingdom. You start praying this way, and God promises to answer you. And he won't be reluctant to do so. He's willing. You just have to seize upon his willingness. You just have to understand what he wants to do and begin to align yourself with that. And that segs right into the final section where we're given a charge to follow. We're given a model of prayer as an example. Then we're given a story to illustrate how that God is not unwilling. And if we'll just be persistent in prayer, we're going to see God do amazing things. And then Jesus gives us a charge of continuing in prayer, of prevailing in prayer. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Really? Because I've been asking and God's not giving me anything. Well, again, what kind of prayers are you praying? And literally this means keep asking. Keep on and on and on in your asking. Seek. Again, keep seeking and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. See, again, you guys, God isn't reluctant. He wants to move. But you have to align yourself with him. And look at the promise in verse 10. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. Everyone. That sounds pretty general. Everyone who has this father relationship. Going back to the model prayer. See, you have to have this father-son relationship with God. Oh, but aren't we all God's children? No. No, we're not. We're all God's creation but we're not all God's children. If you want to be a child of God, you have to come through Jesus Christ, His Son, who gave His life, who shed His blood so that you could have forgiveness and you simply ask Him to forgive you and to be the Lord of your life, to redeem you, to restore you to the way that He ultimately created you and then He's your Father. And then you can go to Him in confidence, everyone who knows him, everyone who has that kind of relationship with him, everyone who asks receives. That's a promise. If you ask according to his will, you will receive. And he who seeks will find. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. It's a great promise for us. And then we're given just a, a great encouragement to the nature of God as it relates to prayer. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If your kids, dads, moms, if your kids ask you for something they need, let's, let's put out of our mind that you know all they want to eat is cocoa pebbles and chocolate cake. Let's put that out of our mind. Let's put out of our mind that they, did, they didn't eat dinner and now it's 10 o'clock and they want a Pop-Tart. Let's, let's not think about that, but let's just think about their needs. When they come to you and they're hungry, you want to feed them. You want to bless them. You want to give them what they need. And you are flawed. You're failed. You're a sinner. Your love for your kids ultimately runs out. It's conditioned. And that's evident by just how... One second, you can just say, oh, isn't this the cutest little thing in the world? And the next second, you're backhanding them in the car, right? And you're failed, and you want to you wanna bless your kids. You're failed and flawed, and, and you want to give your kids everything they need. You don't want to hold anything back from them. Even as mad as you get at them, unless you're some twisted lunatic, even as mad as you get at them, when they ask you for something, it's not like you're lacing it with, with arsenic. Yeah, I'll get you, kid. You know, here you go. Eat away. How much more? How much more will your heavenly Father, when you ask for things that you need, that He already wants to give you, how much more will He bless you? He's not saying, oh, I don't really want to do that. No, in fact, I'm going to give you something you don't need that's going to be a real bummer because that's the kind of God I am. 
We know that isn't true. He's a loving God. And so if you love your kids this much, and you're willing to just give them everything they need, how much more God, who demonstrated His love on the cross, who sent His Son, who took the wrath that we deserved, that took judgment for us. Romans 8.32 tells us, if He did not spare His own Son, how shall He not also freely give us all things? And so if you're thinking, well, yeah, I don't have a job right now. I don't have a wife and I need a wife. I'm sick and I need to be well. Whatever it is, and you're thinking all these things, know this, that God wants to answer your prayer. That God wants to bless you. And you need to look no further than the cross. Because it was there he demonstrated his love for you. And it was there that he proved to you. If he was willing to go that far, he'll provide for all of your needs. Every one of them. And so you're not overcoming some reluctance on his part. You're seizing upon his willingness. Because he wants to have intimacy with you. He wants to have relationship with you. And it happens through prayer. And so the only reason that God would want you to continue to pray is because he knows that that's the way in which you'll continue to come to him. And so it develops intimacy. It develops relationship. If God just answered your prayer the first time, gave you everything you ever needed, done, then you'd never pray again. God knows our hearts, and he wants to keep us in fellowship with him. So he gives us a little bit at a time. And that's why when you pray, God, make me humble, he'll answer that, but not all at once. God, give me patience. Well, he'll answer that, but not like that. It's going to be developed in you over time. You're going to mature a little here, a little there. Because he wants you to continue to come to him in prayer. Because prayer is not about informing God. Prayer is about transforming you. So how much more, if you're willing to bless your kids, how much more is God going to bless you? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The ultimate thing that God wants to do in your life is to give you himself. It's the ultimate thing. And you're thinking about all these needs you have. You're thinking about all the lack you have in your life. And God is saying, look, I want to take care of your greatest need. I want to give you myself. I want you to be consumed with me. I want my kingdom to rule and reign in your life. See, because that's how God created you. He created you in his image. He created the world perfectly in seven days. And he looked at it and he said, it is good. And then in about five minutes, Adam and Eve screwed the whole thing up. And we've been continuing to perpetuate that since. But man, meanwhile, in the background, God from the foundations of the world has been setting things straight. God has been setting the world at, in, in reconciliation to him. And he's been redeeming the world. And he's been bringing it back into the place that he wants it to be. He has done that and he wants to do that in your life. He, he wants that to rule and reign in you. His plan of redemption. His plan of restoration, you guys. He, he wants to consume you with him. And he's made that possible. And so rather than, than focusing on all the things that aren't going right in your life, think about the fact that your ultimate need to be brought back into right relationship with God, to have that relationship restored, to be redeemed, and to have him set up his kingdom in your heart, that is done. And he wants to give you himself. And all you have to do is just simply ask him, God, come, take me, consume me. That's what he wants to do in you. And he wants to do it every day. Not once, not once in a while, but every day. He wants to transform you. He wants to bring you into right relationship with him. He wants to align his kingdom in your heart so that you're not living for yourself, but you're living for him. Jesus has given us a great model for prayer and he's allowed us to see that if we'll simply come before him in those things that he already wants to do, that he'll work, he'll move, he'll do amazing things. And that word persistence in verse 8, it literally means shamelessly. That you would come before God shamelessly, boldly. Hebrews chapter 4 
talks about going before the throne of grace with boldness, knowing that God wants to answer, knowing that God wants to work, and just boldly going to him and asking him for it. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you expected God to do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything you could ask or think? When was the last time? I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. The worship band's going to come up, and we're just going to allow you to ask God to work in your life, to shamelessly, boldly go before His throne and to ask Him for things that are already within His will. Not some crazy, selfish stuff, but stuff He wants to do already. And watch Him work. Watch Him bless you. And so as we close this morning, I just invite you to do that. Maybe it's, maybe it's health. Maybe it's the health of a loved one. Maybe it is a job. And you say, Lord, you want to provide for my daily needs. You've said that. I'm pretty sure you're going to do that by a job. And so, Lord, would you provide a job for me? And just receive that. Receive what he wants to do this morning. Maybe it's a spouse. And you've been attempting in your own strength, in your own flesh, to find fulfillment through another person. And God says, I want you to find fulfillment in me first. And then I can bless you in that way. Let's stand together. Just receive what the Lord wants to do in your life this morning.
shown you that he wants to do in you, how he wants to provide for you, I just want you to seize upon his willingness this morning. Maybe you even want to raise your hands and just allow him just to to give you those things, just to receive from him. He's given you a promise that if you'll ask in his name, according to his will, according to the things that he wants to do, you will receive it. Lord, there are many that are thinking about loved ones that aren't saved. And God, we lift them up to you. God, we pray for salvation for moms and dads, for kids. Lord, for aunts and uncles, for cousins, for neighbors, for siblings. Lord, we lift them up to you, God. We know you want to save them, God. We know that you want to redeem them. And so, Lord, we're not trying to overcome some reluctance on your part. God, we just believe that you're going to open their eyes. You're going to soften their hearts. God, many here are praying for work. Lord, the unemployment rates are just out of control, Lord, and so many are in need of work. And so, God, I just pray right now, as people are asking for work, maybe there's contractors who just need some jobs to come in. Lord, I pray that you'd give them favor as they do bids, that, Lord, they would receive those jobs, that you would create work. Lord, I pray for those that are just looking for someone to work for. Lord, that you would open jobs up for them. God, that you would provide for them in any way that you want to. Lord, I know that there are some who are praying for a spouse, Lord, and I pray that you would bring them a husband or a wife who loves you. God, who who is dedicated to you who glorifies you. God, may their priority and what they're looking for in a spouse, may it be right, may it be godly. Lord, whatever it is that we're asking, I pray that we would receive it. Lord, some need victory over sin. God, and you've promised to, to give us that. Lord, some have been giving in to the same sin, Lord. And maybe they're even thinking, yeah, the model prayer sounds great. Forgive us our sins, but you don't know what I've done. How many times I've asked for forgiveness, Lord. I thank you that your grace is limitless. Lord, and we receive your forgiveness this morning. God, some need healing. Lord, and we're not sure. There are times where it is your will to heal, and there are times that it isn't. Because you want to teach us something. You want to use it somehow for your kingdom's sake. And so, God, we just pray for your will to be done. And if there's people right here, right now, that need to be healed, Lord, if there's cancer that you want to heal, then heal it. Lord, we believe that you can do that. Lord, if there's back problems here God and you want to heal those then then we just receive that we believe you can do that Lord heart conditions diabetes arthritis Lord Lord I we could be here all day thinking of the things God but you know our bodies You're intimately acquainted with us, God. And if you want to heal, then I pray that you would, Lord. And we don't want to inhibit you in any way. We just receive that. Lord, we receive whatever it is that you want to do. God, we're tired of being focused on our kingdom. 
and getting our will done. Lord, we want to focus on your kingdom and we want your will to be done. Jesus, we want to glorify you. Jesus, we want to make you famous. And as we leave this place, God, may we become people of prayer. God, make us radical people of prayer who boldly, shamelessly go to your throne expecting you to do amazing things for your glory. And we give you all of these things, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.